You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in, whether this is your first time listening to Locked On Seahawks or you are a regular listener. We're glad to have you on board for a jam-packed episode. We're going to be debating the best and worst first-round picks in Seahawks history for Throwback Tuesday, and we're going to be taking a look at the center group as we get closer to the 2021 NFL Draft. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. After just one season with the team, the Quentin Dunbar era in Seattle has officially come to a close. According to his agency, the veteran cornerback has agreed with the Detroit Lions on a one-year contract. Financial terms have yet to be disclosed. Rob, this really shouldn't be a surprise. Pete Carroll did mention after the season concluded that the Seahawks had interest in bringing him back, and the player himself recently on Instagram said that he had had some good talks with the Seahawks about potentially re-signing, but the Detroit Lions had him in for a visit on Monday, and they made sure that he did not leave without a contract signed, and now he gets a chance to team up with Jeff Akuda, their first-round pick from last year, and potentially have a shot at restarting his career after an injury marred season with the Seahawks. Yeah, you know me, Corbin. I mean, I'm always going to be rooting for the player. And, and because the Quentin Dunbar struggle with injuries as much as he did in Seattle, then I think that it's, uh, you know, he has this opportunity in Detroit, as you mentioned, playing opposite a former first round pick in Akuta, a very high one at that, um, who also struggled with his own durability issues. Then, then I think that there's an, a nice bounced back opportunity um, for Dunbar in Detroit. And then obviously, if you look at it from a Seahawk perspective, if they brought in a killer weather spoon, we saw what DJ Reed did for the Seahawks this, this past season. I don't know that the, he had the, the guaranteed opportunity uh, to start again. I mean, because let, let's face it, even when he was healthy, if he was healthy, um, but throughout his time in Seattle, frankly, I was disappointed in what I saw from Quentin Dunbar. I did not see the mobility I expected to see out of a guy that I know had run in the four threes earlier in his career. I did not see the open field tackling skills that I had seen previously during his time at Washington. I, I was disappointed. I, I was among the, the biggest fans of the of Seattle's trade form initially, even as there was all the off-field concerns that there were. I think that we all thought that that he was going to wind up becoming really uh, one of the better corners in, for, the, for the Seahawks last year. And that's going with a, a Shaquille Griffin, who, again, I'm a big, big fan of. But at the same time, I just thought that, that Quentin Dunbar never really played up to the, the Seahawks level that is expected at the cornerback position. And that's a very high one, considering all the talent they have at the quarterback position in the NFC West. So, again, I, I'm excited for Quentin Dunbar. Uh, I, good luck in Detroit. But at the same time, I think the Seahawks are in maybe might even be better off without him uh, on the roster. I know the Seahawks were definitely in discussion with him. As I said, the player indicated they'd had some talks about him potentially re-signing. But I'm envisioning the Lions probably offered a bit more money up front than the Seahawks are willing to pay, especially with the fact that Dunbar was a monumental disappointment last season. As you mentioned, he just never looked healthy all year long. The six games that he did play and he had 30 tackles, five pass defense. He did intercept Cam Newton in Seattle's win over the Patriots 
in week two, but then he missed the next couple of games. He returned for four games and looked like a shell of himself. The Buffalo game, it was really difficult to watch how much he was hobbled by that knee injury. And so even though they only gave him a fifth round pick to acquire him, Dunbar was supposed to be an upgrade over the incumbent starter at right cornerback in Trey Flowers. And really, Trey Flowers played better than what Quentin Dunbar did when he had an opportunity to play last season. Dunbar just was not the guy they anticipated he was going to be. And I think he was set back a ton by the fact that in May, he was arrested for his alleged involvement in an armed robbery case. I think that just set him back tremendously because by the time he was taken off the commissioner's exempt list and those charges were dropped, he hadn't been actively working out. He had a lot of other things that were much bigger priorities than preparing for the upcoming season. So he showed up at training camp and he wasn't in shape and they had to slowly work him back into football condition. Still was the starter in week one, but they had to put Trey Flowers in for some snaps that game because he wasn't ready for a full workload. And then two weeks later, he's injured again. And so now he's had three straight seasons. He's ended the year on injured reserve. The Lions are taking a chance that he's going to be able to play at the level he did in 2019 when he had four interceptions for Washington in just 11 games. And that's really the key here, just 11 games. He just has not been able to stay healthy. So as you said, best wishes to him moving forward. I think the Seahawks would have loved to have him back at a near veteran minimum deal on a prove-it contract. I expect the Lions probably offered a bit more, though, and this is a chance for him to hit the reset button because his one season in Seattle, quite frankly, was disaster. The trade ended up being a big whiff for John Schneider and the front office. Heading into the second quarter, we are closely approaching the 2021 NFL Draft. Rob and I are going to look back at the best and worst first-round picks in Seahawks history. We're going to debate which ones we think are the best and worst overall. When we return, you're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. We're covering everything you need to know about the Seahawks, but what about the rest of sports? The Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by Peter Bukowski. It's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. We are quickly approaching the 2021 NFL Draft. Unfortunately for the Seahawks, they do not have a first-round pick after trading it away to the New York Jets for safety, Jamal Adams, last season. But that's not going to stop us from looking back at the past here in our weekly Throwback Tuesday segment. Rob, the Seahawks have made more than 40 first-round picks during their franchise history. They've had plenty of big hits, and they've had plenty of whiffs over the years as well. But what we're going to do here, we're going to have a little bit of friendly debate because Obviously, this is going to be really difficult, especially when we're talking about the best first-round picks in Seahawks history because they've got four Hall of Famers that they drafted in the first round. So we're talking some pretty exclusive company here, but we're going to be debating, looking at some players that are qualified for the best 
first round pick in franchise history. And then we have to look at the other side of the coin players that were not necessarily successful in Seattle and they were the worst first round picks by the Seahawks. Let's start with the positives. I think this is going to be a tough discussion because Rob, the Seahawks have drafted four Hall of Famers in the first round. Most recently, Steve Hutchinson being elected into Canton. He's going to be inducted in August. They're going to have two classes. Last year, they weren't able to induct the 2020 class because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But you have Steve Hutchinson, you have Walter Jones, Cortez Kennedy, and Kenny Easley. All four of those players were first-round picks for the Seahawks, and all four of them are enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And there are other guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame that were outstanding first-round picks too, such as Sean Alexander and Earl Thomas. So trying to debate who the best pick is could be a challenge. Oh, absolutely. It's a challenge. I, I, but I like the way you started off by highlighting the, the Hall of Famers. And and that's why that's where I would start is, is my argument is that the Seahawks' best first-round pick of all time is Steve Hutchinson, in my opinion, because he is a Hall of Famer. He was drafted 17th overall, whereas the other three Hall of Famers that you mentioned, Cortez Kennedy, uh, you know, Walter Jones, and uh, and Kenny Easley, were all top six selections. You, you look back at that 2001 draft, Corbin, when, when the Seahawks selected, uh, you know, Steve Hutchinson, you know, he was their second first round selection that year. Corn Robinson, who some might argue is one of the Seattle's worst first round selects because the fact that he was drafted ahead of the Hall of Famer and obviously had his own personal issues. Uh, I, I just think that just makes the, the selection of Steve Hutchinson that much stronger because there were a number of draft busts that year in the first round um, that, that the teams were very frustrated with um, because they did have talent, they did, but they did not have the, the durability the consistency uh, that that Steve Hutchinson possessed, and I just thought that to me it was kind of a kind of a switch in in the mentality of the Seahawks at that point. Of course, it was Mike Holmgren was uh, you know leading the, the charge for the Seahawks at that time, and it was very much a kind of a, a transition from the, the previous regime. And so, to me, it was one of those foundational type of selections that made everybody else around them that much better. And I understand where you're coming from with Hutchinson because of where he was drafted at 17th overall. That is a much greater value pick than the other three Hall of Famers who were top six picks. But I'm going to throw the pick number out the window here because when you're talking about greatest players that ever played the game, Walter Jones, in my opinion, is the best left tackle that ever played the game. I think you can debate where Steve Hutchinson fits into the best guards that ever played the game. There are a lot of guards that would be in the mix there. Hutchinson, I don't think, is going to be a top three, top four guard in NFL history. Walter Jones is the best blindside protector in NFL history. He had less than 10 penalties, holding penalties in his career. And we're talking about playing the left tackle position. And this is a guy that was a five-time first-team All-Pro and a couple second-team All-Pro selections. He was 2010 All-Decade team to watch his dominance there just was never a left tackle like him. And I'm not saying that because it's a Seahawks show. I'm just telling you, there was never a left tackle like Walter Jones before he arrived in the league. And there hasn't been one as good as him since he retired in 2009. And so for that reason, to me, this is actually a pretty easy discussion. As much as I like Kenny Easley, Cortez Kennedy, Steve Hutchinson, Jacob Green is a player we haven't mentioned yet that had a fantastic career that I still wonder why he didn't get into the Hall of Fame. but at the end of the day, there's Walter Jones and then there's everyone else. It's clearly the greatest player they ever picked 
in the first round. And some of the guys we mentioned were picked earlier. So if you're going by value, he was the second first round pick they made that year. Sean yeah. Springs was the one they picked at pick number three in the 1997 draft. And so I think at the end of the day, this is a pretty easy discussion for me. It's got to be Big Walt. Well, I certainly understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that, that Walter Jones is the best player that's uh, you know played in Seahawks history with a possible uh, you know tip of the cap to Russell Wilson, of course, just because of the value of the quarterback position. Um, and Wilson's career obviously is is hopefully far from over from a, a Russell Wilson and a Seahawks perspective. Walter Jones is absolutely phenomenal. As we were just spending a couple of moments in the in the first quarter, Corbin talking about uh, Quentin Dunbar and the fact that because of the off field issues, then when he started off a training camp. He was behind. And remember how many times Walter Jones was was holding out, and he would just show up at training camp, and it was immediate. He was the best player on the field all over again. I mean, that to me is just a testament to his unbelievable talent. And it, for a man that was built the way he is, I mean, he is just a massive, massive human being mm -hmm. to be as light on his feet as he was. I mean, just truly a fantastic player. So you're not going to get much of an argument for me uh, about Walter Jones being an absolutely terrific player, arguably their greatest first round selection of all time if you throw out the number where he selected again number six overall compared to Hutchinson again number 17 that was a big part of my argument um to me when I I look at some of the other players that you mentioned, like, like a, a, Jacob, a Jacob Green, for example, like a Earl Thomas, for example. I think that they also are very important. I'm going to throw out one other player there just that I think is important that gets kind of lost uh, that I think, again, he created a bit of a foundation for the Seahawks, and that would be Bruce Irvin. And I'm not saying that he is in the same realm of the other players that we've just mentioned. I just mean that that basically was one of those as a kind of a shot across the bow for the rest of the NFL, that Pete Carroll and John Schneider were going to do things differently in Seattle. And it really did change things up a little bit. So he is another one that I think that that deserves a little bit more uh, acknowledgement than most people are going to give the Seahawks in terms of grading their first round selections. And I think someday we will see Earl Thomas in Canton, even with what has transpired the last couple of years with him now being out of the league after being released by the Ravens. I do think that we are going to see him in the Hall of Fame. And so this group is going to have five. You could maybe make an argument six. I don't know that Sean Alexander ever gets in at this point, but we've argued about this before. I think he's got a pretty good case for being in Canton. So the Seahawks have drafted a lot of really good players in the first round. On the flip side, as I mentioned, Every general manager is going to have a few busts they pick in the first round. John Schneider's had a couple of first-round picks that have not panned out during his time at the helm for the Seahawks. In the 90s, it seemed like they were whiffing on every other first-round pick, especially if it was a quarterback. In the 80s, they missed on a few guys as well. So plenty of first-round busts to discuss. And obviously, Dan McGuire is going to be the first name that we bring up from a bust perspective because he was drafted – in the early 90s to be the new franchise quarterback, and he threw two touchdown passes in his career with the Seahawks. Two touchdowns, six interceptions, never showed that he was capable of even being a viable NFL backup. So that first-round pick was a complete bust. Rick Meyer, another quarterback they drafted a few years later, had a decent rookie season, then everything fell off 
the face of the earth after that point. They eventually traded him to the Bears for a first-round pick that led to getting Sean Springs. They traded up with that first-rounder to get him. So you at least got something back in return, which they didn't get from Dan McGuire. They just had to move on. He finished his career with one season playing a couple of snaps for the Miami Dolphins, and then he was washed out of the league. And then you've got Aaron Curry, the linebacker that was drafted first round, fourth overall in 2009, I thought was going to be a all-pro caliber player in the NFL, never was able to come close to meeting those expectations, and he was out of the league in his mid-20s. So those three are all home run selections when you're talking about the biggest bust in Seahawks history. You can make an argument for any of those three, I think I got to go with McGuire as my pick just because he's playing the quarterback position and you've got two touchdown passes out of him. You weren't able to trade him for anything of value after that point. It was a completely wasted first round pick. It really was. And which breaks my heart because I remember scouting him. I, I remember watching the San Diego State playing against the Miami game, the same one that got the you know the Seahawks then owner, Ken Baring, to uh you know to push for Dan McGuire's selection. I, I grew up as a huge fan of Dan McGuire's brother, the more famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it. Mark McGuire, the big slugger, of course, the Bash brothers. And and so I thought, hey, this guy has the, has those professional bloodlines. He's gonna be an absolute superstar star and then unfortunately he wound up being the exact opposite of that one of the the biggest whiffs that i think that you could see uh you know you could argue not only in seahawk history but but arguably in nfl history just because he looked so much the part of being that traditional drop back pocket passer that should have had some success in the nfl with that big arm he just couldn't uh you know throw a throw an accurate pass to save his life when it seemed like when it came to the nfl and so really a disappointing selection you know this is a fun topic for me, Corbin, because I think that it gives us an opportunity to kind of defend some players as well. I think that there's going to be so many Seahawks fans out there who are going to say Brian Bosworth, are going to say Chris McIntosh, are going to say other players who, unfortunately, their careers were just ravaged by injuries. Corin Robinson mentioned a few moments ago. I, I, to, for, to me, I have a hard time characterizing any player who is it, – it, Characterizing any player as a bust because of uh, injuries, because of off-field issues, things like that. Even like Malik McDowell and things like that. And obviously he wasn't a first-round selection, but... At the same time, I just have a hard time characterizing those guys as busts. They had other issues that is what basically sunk their career. Dan McGuire just couldn't cut it on the football field. And that's why, in my opinion, when we were having the conversation before about the best first-round pick, to me, there's a little bit more debate. I don't think there is much debate when it comes to who is the Seattle's worst first-round selection. And I'm going to defend Brian Bosworth, too, because a lot of 12s out there, that's the first name they throw out because he was picked as a first-round supplemental pick. He did have a short career, and he wasn't able to live up to the hype that he really generated for himself with his trash talking, the way he carried himself. But I still think Brian Bosworth, in retrospect, you look at the few seasons he played in Seattle, he was a good player. I don't know that he was great, but he was a good NFL linebacker. So from that perspective, I don't view him as a bust. He had an injury that unfortunately ended his career, as you mentioned. That leads to me, uh, that leads to the biggest bust that comes from the supplemental draft. And it was not Brian Bosworth. You only had to look a few years earlier. 1984, the Seahawks used the number 22, number 22 overall pick, a first round selection in the supplemental draft to get Gordon Hudson, a tight end out of BYU, who played with Steve Young. And he put up some big numbers for the Cougars. He was on their team that was 
crowned a national champion as well. So this guy had a really good college career. And then he played two years in the USFL after he was drafted in the supplemental draft, finally joined the Seahawks in 1986, caught 13 passes and one touchdown that year. Didn't play another down in the NFL after that point. So if we're going to talk about wasting a first-round pick in the supplemental draft, I wouldn't go to Brian Bosworth. I think Gordon Hudson, who you got one season out of for that first-round pick, I would think that that is the one that the franchise looked back on. We probably could have used that first-round pick a little more wisely. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And Again, defending players. I think that if Seattle had drafted him now the way it's NFL has changed a little bit, then he may have had some success. And so I think that, um, again, I think that it's interesting to kind of look at players and, and are they being drafted a generation too late or a generation too early in terms of football? You know, are, are they just, do they fit in with today's NFL? And that's, again, kind of going back to, I think, some of the, the big victories that Seattle has had on draft day that it doesn't get enough credit. I mentioned Bruce Irvin before. Bruce Irvin would be an absolute slam dunk first round selection right now in today's NFL with the way that quarterbacks uh, get the ball out of their hands so quickly. But when he was selected, uh, you know, a couple of years back, then, then people were, you know, were, were, were freaking out about it, thinking there's no way this guy warrants a first round selection. To me, again, it was kind of a, a symbol of the changing of the guard and, and of a guy who was more about what the NFL was going to be rather than what it had been previously. When we return for the third quarter, we're going to flip to the present and we're going to break down the center group heading into the 2021 NFL draft. One of the biggest positional needs for the Seahawks that still needs to be filled. And this is a good draft class to find a long-term starter at that position. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Tuesday show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. The NFL draft is weeks away, so it's time to start following our Locked On NFL draft duo. The Draft Dudes podcast watches every prospect so that you don't have to. And the Locked On NFL draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow Locked On NFL draft and draft dudes on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. We are getting closer and closer to the 2021 NFL Draft. Unfortunately, the Seahawks only have three draft picks, but they do have a second-round pick at pick 56 overall, and there's been a lot of discussion about what the Seahawks may choose to do with that first pick in the middle of day two. And 
we both have talked about this extensively. Ethan Postick was re-signed, but a one-year $3 million deal does not scream, we are paying you starter money. And this is a loaded class at the pivot position. It seems like it would be a prime opportunity at the end of the second round, early third if they trade back, to be able to land a big-time center prospect that can be a long-term answer and might be able to beat out Postick right away for a starting job. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the absolute critical uh, needs for the Seahawks in this draft class because, as you just mentioned, Corbin, this is a really good class. Um, and and the fact that, that Seattle brought back Ethan Posick, Kyle Fuller as well, um, but at the same time, neither one of them shown me at least that that they are Seattle's answer for the long term or necessarily even as the starter moving forward. So you know, we we had this debate a little bit just yesterday. You know, kind of talking about who are the players who are so good that Seattle would be unwilling to trade out number 56 overall. To me, there's a couple of those players. Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey would be one. I'm a huge, huge fan of Landon Dickerson from Alabama, but you're going to have to get a really good uh, medical evaluation on him after he tore his ACL uh, during the SEC championship game. So obviously create all kinds of questions about whether or not he is going to be fully healed in time for training camp. You know you're going to want to have a, you know, a, an immediate rapport set up between he and Russell Wilson. Um, so that is a something that is a little bit puts his stock a little bit more in in question but at the same time what a phenomenal football player that he is. You and I have uh, you know, kind of gushed about Quinn Miners, how much that we like him from Wisconsin Whitewater, and then Josh Myers from Ohio State. To me, any one of those four, I believe, are legitimate starting centers early in their NFL career, perhaps even as rookies. Um, again, with the, the caveat with, with Dickerson being the health, but I think that all of them are, are very much candidates to be Seattle's first selection they make, whether it be a 56 or in a slight trade down. Those first three guys that you mentioned, we have talked a lot about Quinn Miners. We've talked a lot about Creed Humphrey. We've taken a close look at Landon Dickerson. All three of those players we have covered on our mock draft Mondays. But I don't feel like we have spent a lot of time talking about Josh Myers. And to me, he is a surefire second-round selection. He's coming from one of the best programs in the country. He's one of the best centers in the country. He has good size, and I think what I really like about him is this is a guy that plays with an edge, and he is going to blow people up off the line of scrimmage. He is a physical, mauling center. He's a lot different than Ethan Posick is. I think that's the biggest issue I have with Posick's game at this point is there's just too many times where he isn't able to move people in the run game. You're not going to have that problem with Josh Myers coming out of Ohio State. He is a physical offensive lineman that's going to get his hands into you, and he's going to drive you downfield. And he's actually a pretty serviceable second-level blocker as well when he's working off combo blocks. And so there's a lot to like about him. You're not going to bull rush this kid either. He's got a really thick lower body, a powerful anchor. You're going to have a tough time overpowering him into the pocket. The big issue for me is the athletic limitations, especially when you're talking about a guy coming into a zone-heavy offensive scheme. Do I think he can block zone a little bit? Absolutely, but I don't think it's the biggest strength for him when you're talking about agility and lateral movement. That's not necessarily his game. So if the Seahawks do pick him, that tells me we're still going to see them running quite a bit of downhill stuff mixed in with the zone schemes that Shane Waldron is going to be implementing. Yeah, I 100% I agree with you. And one of the things that you mentioned uh, about Josh Myers that I, 
I, I really agree how what a contrast that he is with Ethan Posick, for example, is just how strong he is in his base and his ability to anchor at the point of attack. And, and I think that that's really important when you have a smaller, shorter, more mobile kind of a quarterback is you have to be able to kind of almost block from the inside out a little bit differently than NFL teams do. And Myers would give them that foundational piece in the inside because he is so powerful. He is able to handle those, those bull rushers. So to me, Myers is one that does make some sense for Seattle. Um, another one, if we are going to be focusing on, on the centers that would fit in very well with that zone scheme, that have that quickness, have that lateral agility, be able to get to the second level. That to me is where you start having the conversation about a guy like Kentucky's uh, Drake Jackson, who I've gushed about before, really, really quick off the ball, uh, as quick off the ball as any interior offensive lineman I have seen in this draft class, Corbin. That's saying something when you've got some athletes like a Quinn Miners uh, and a Ben Cleveland from Georgia. But I think that Drake Jackson, he's a little bit short and stumpy. Um, but at the same time, so he's not going to be the big mauler that I think that you would get in the second round. But if he is still available in the fourth round, then to me, he might be one of those candidates that you have to consider. And if you do want one of those big, powerful guys, Trey Hill from Georgia is another one who I believe can be a starting center early in his NFL career as well. I'm going to go with another lighter center in the fourth round because we've talked about Drake Jackson quite a bit. And he's a guy that's really impressed me when I've watched film. But Drew Dahlman out of Stanford, a coach's son, and you can see it with the way that he plays on the field. Very technically sound, cerebral, high football IQ, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And he's got good athleticism. So if you're looking for a center that's going to be able to get out on pulling assignments, going to be able to move laterally well enough to be able to block consistently in the NFC West as a zone blocker. Dahlman is a player that I think can do that for you. Unfortunately, I do see some parallels in his game to a former starter for the Seahawks, Joey Hunt. We're talking about a 295-pound center. He's small and going against players like Aaron Donald in the NFC West he's going to have a really hard time not getting bullied, particularly in pass protection. Pac-12 pass rushers in the interior have been able to bull rush him back into the quarterback. And so that would be my one big concern with him going to the next level. He's going to have to get some more beef on him, and I don't know how easily he's going to be able to do that. If he doesn't get stronger, he's going to, have, he's going to be a player that's got a pretty high floor, but I don't know that he offers much of a ceiling which is another reason why he's a fourth-round pick. No, I, I agree. With, with Drew Dahlman, I see a guy who is technically sound, who is very light on his feet, uh, who is co does come from a pro-style offense at Stanford, all the different things that you are looking for. You know, what's interesting is that you, you mentioned uh, Joey Hunt as a possible comparison. I was asking some NFL scouts who, who they saw when they saw Dahlman. They mentioned another Fiat as well, but it was Robbie Tobek. And so another guy who has that mobility, obviously has the, uh, you know, the, the track record with, with Seattle that is, is intriguing. Um, and then you mentioned the fact that, that Drew Dahlman is the, the coach or the son of a coach. Uh, you know, his, his father was, was San Francisco 49ers for a long, long time. And so to me, those are some of the things that make you believe that, that he might be able to come into the NFL and be able to have some success uh, relatively quickly. So he is one of the guys that's kind of on the short list for, for me from the Seahawks as, uh, as well. And then if you're looking at a late round candidate, kind of a guy who does remind me a little bit of a Joey Hunt, and he's not real big, he's not real strong, but he wins with guile, he wins with technique. Jimmy Morrissey from Pittsburgh is another one to kind of keep an eye on for the late, late rounds. He's, again, not a big guy, um, but at the same time, if Seattle misses out on the six players that we just mentioned that's the thing Corbin. usually we're talking about a center class that's two three guys we're six seven players deep yeah morrissey's a player that in the seventh round i think offers plenty of value because to me he's very similar to dolman 
And Dahlman's a player that maybe has a little bit better pedigree, but I think this is what would excite Pete Carroll as the coach of the Seahawks and John Schneider being the general manager. We know they love players with chips on their shoulders. Morrissey was a walk-on at Pittsburgh and eventually became a team captain and a multi-year starter. He's actually a little bigger than Dahlman, a little over 300 pounds. Dahlman's listed at 295. And so he does have a little bit more size, but he's another player that is going to bring mobility to the game. He's going to win with technique, not going to be overpowering people off the line of scrimmage. I think Dahlman is a little better run blocker, pecks a little bit more punch. And I think both players are pretty similar in the sense that they can win in pass protection going against stunts and against more athletic pass rushers, where I think they're going to have issues is against stronger defensive tackles that have the ability to bully them into the backfield. And again, that's a big weakness for Morrissey. Another reason why I think he's probably going to be available in the sixth or seventh round. If the Seahawks have not addressed the center position, he's a player that brings a lot of starting experience to the equation playing in a power five conference and might be a guy again that has a high floor maybe not the highest of ceilings but a guy that might be able to come in and compete against Ethan Posick quicker than expected at that center position you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL you can follow Rob at Rob Rang make sure to follow Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify and the all-new Odyssey app that's A-U-D-A-C-Y Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to continue our draft coverage. We're going to be swinging back to the defensive side of the football, looking at edge defenders the Seahawks may look to target in the second, fourth, and seventh round. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.